This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music. I think it's safe to say that no one was expecting a new Beatles song to come out this year. But that's exactly what happened last week when the band released what they're billing as their final track together. It's called Now and Then. More than 40 years now and then existed only as a scratchy home recording that John Lennon made on a boombox. It's just him singing at the piano at his house. Uh, and the surviving Beatles, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, they couldn't do anything with it because the recording was just too bad. You know, John's voice was lost in the piano. There was a lot of background noise. But just in the past couple of years, we've gotten this truly mind-blowing technology that allows you to strip out individual parts from a single audio recording. So if there's, you know, a voice and drums and piano and background noise all happening at the same time on the same track, now you can strip out all the individual elements and isolate them, which means that they could finally pull out John Lennon's voice from that old home recording, put it on its own track and rebuild the song around it. This isn't the first time the Beatles have used AI to work on their music, and I'm going to say that they used AI to restore their music or recover it because they're not using artificial intelligence to make, you know, completely fake generated music out of nothing, but rather they're using it to remix and remaster what they've already done. Peter Jackson did this famously with the Beatles' music for his incredible documentary, Get Back, that came out in 2021. And the producer, Giles Martin, did it when he remixed the original mono recordings of the Beatles' album, Revolver. That came out just last year. So to mark the release of Now and Then, this week we're revisiting the conversation that NPR's Bob Boylan had with Giles Martin about Revolver. Bob Boylan begins by setting the scene. So, uh, Giles, it's, it's 1966. For the past four years, the Beatles have been in constant motion. What is it, six albums? Six uh, albums, yeah, I think, yeah. Right, two films, world tours. And then along comes this, something I didn't wasn't aware of, a third movie proposal, and they turn it down, and all of a sudden the Beatles have have time. They actually have, I think they have their first holiday they've ever had. And I think it's a time for reflection, as you say, and I think that they're already changing. The Beatles morphed, and they taken off the suits that single four-headed monster the Beatles have become, <laughs> that we are going to be the topmost of the poppermost. We are going to be the biggest pop band in the world. And they'd suddenly become 
for individuals, I think the world would start projecting on them which one's the cute one, which one's the, you know, which one's the intelligent one, which one's the... And they went in and they decided to open up their minds. And spend time in the studio with those open minds and different attitudes and so forth. The spirit of the band, it sounds like from one of the outtakes in this, uh, this collection has a couple of discs worth of outtakes. And one of the ones that really got me in terms of spirit uh, was a version of uh, Andrew Bird Can Sing. Uh, so I'm going to play that, and then maybe you could tell me a little about what was going on here. Okay, great. You tell me that you've got thing you want and your bird can sing but you don't get me you don't get me <laughs> you don't see me <laughs> <laughs> it's so infectious. I, I think I even hear a snort there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was going on here? Do we know in this session? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I, I you know, I, on looking at the album and mixing the album, I sat with Paul, and uh, we sat actually in Capitol Studios in LA, and we listened to the album, went through it, and he, you know, get, you know, he, you know, I, I work for them. He gave me his comments, and he goes, "It's funny, you know what." Revolver is the time where we, you know, it's the most individual Beatles album. It's when we, it's when we were discovered pot. So that's, uh, I think there's a combination of uh, of real enthusiasm and maybe uh, and maybe induced enthusiasm and laughter going on there, but also shows you. I mean, there were mates, you know, their mates going in. They were on this ride, and they just like you know, they were just had that freedom that they kind of knew they were brilliant. They had that freedom to go in, and that's them doing a vocal overdub. They'd recorded the band, they'd recorded the backing track, Andy Burke and that's to them doing the vocal vocal overdub and not maybe mentally being in the right place to do it at that time. <laughs> when they recorded, would they more often than not play as a band with the singing and the instruments? That's the way I thought they mostly did. Yeah, they did that. They did that. And quite often they would play that and occasionally they'd replace the vocals. I mean, don't forget this is using four-track tape. We can talk a bit more about that later, but you know, which means you can have four things. Yeah, at the same time. So quite often, they might put the bass on a separate track, but their guitars and drums quite often on the same track. And that's when you listen to the old stereo to get everything on one side. There weren't a huge amount of overdubs. And the Beatles always, you know, they played live. There's no click track. You know, Ringo never has never played with the click track <laughs> and never will play with the click track. The rhythm comes from them. It's human. I think that's why it lasts for so long. That's why I think that's why, you know, people look for what's the magic behind the Beatles? What is it? You know, what is it? Is it my dad, George Martin? Or is it the engineer? Is it Abbey Road? Is it? It's the fact that you had four people that make a really good noise together. Indeed. And a lot of back and forth. And, and some of the snarkiness that happens back and forth is part of the creativity, right? Of course it is. You can't have one without the other. You can't. They weren't the monkeys. They were the Beatles, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And, 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 you know, and. They were professional and they were good at what they did and serious about what they did. You know, they, this album, they went from being, you know, the four mop tops, you know, and the Mersey beat image into like going from tomorrow. No, knows. I want to, you know, you know, we can listen to that at some point. You know, I want to sing, I want to be, you know, singing from a mountaintop in the Himalayas, you know, to, to Eleanor Rigby. It's almost like a prog album, this, if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the fact the songs are only two and a half minutes long and, long and they're good. <laughs> you mentioned Eleanor Rigby and we were talking about overdubs and so forth. And, and there's a couple of cuts on this record that we hear a lot of voices. It 
discussing the arrangements and so forth, why don't you set up, I want to play this a uh, little bit where we hear Paul listening to the strings. They're talking about vibrato. This is actually take two Eleanor Rigby. Now, if you've got a picture of the scene, Eleanor Rigby was written on acoustic guitar, and then Paul and my dad discussed about adding strings to it. I think Paul just watched Psycho. Yeah, the famous home, film. Yeah, the famous Bernard Herman score with the shrieking violins and said, let's, you know, can we do this, George? And my dad went away and did this arrangement. Now, what you're going to hear is take two. They already played it once. And Paul's up in the control room being the producer. My dad, George Martin, is, is on the studio floor with a string octet. So that's, that's a double quartet. And they're discussing how it should be, you know, how they're going to get this right. And they've only played it once. Now, you have to think that before, like five minutes before this, Elder Rigby would never have been heard. It was just dots on a page. Right. And what's amazing about this is, A, the string players are so involved. I mean, you know, I, I always had this impression from my dad that they weren't necessarily that into playing on pop records. They were, you know, classical players. And it was unusual to do this kind of session. But they're, they're, they're involved. And the other thing is that if you hear Paul, Paul in the talkback, so you imagine his voice is coming from the control room. He's in a separate room, and it's coming out of a speaker in the room. The, my dad and the string players would have had no headphones. They'd just be literally, he'd be waving his arms around. They'd be playing to that. And he sounds a bit like, he goes, we know what, what? He's got a, got a slightly posh voice. So uh, check this out. And then we'll hear the actual take. And it's just like, it's like punk strings, the way they play. It's kind of aggressive and amazing. Here we go. Well, I think you mean the colours are to G. No, you mean this. I mean, better be. Listen to this, Paul. This is without vibrato on the, on the, um, on the rhythm bit, you know? It sounded better without. I thought it did actually. Yes. It sounded better. It sounds better without. Especially if we make it more marcato. It's a slightly more big mechanized Thanks, sir. Stop me if the tempo is not fast enough, Paul. struck by the actual tone of the strings and it feels 
Uh, okay, I, I wasn't there, but it feels like the mics are right on top of the players. Yeah, they are. In fact, um, Jeff Henry got into trouble with some of the string players for actually going too close to the... Is that right? To, to, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was the idea. It's like, you know, how do we... So it, it, that's what the Beatles did. It's like, how do... You know, we... My dad always used to say they never, they never wanted to make Jaws too. How's it, how's it going to be different? You know what? You know what can we do? Someone's already done this, so we're not going to do that. Let's do this. And even you know when they, when they were sort of being you know respectful or even derivative of other bands, they would go, okay, we're going to you know annual Burke and sing. We'll do the birds. But we'll do it in our way. Um, we'll do the birds as in the birds. The, the band. birds. The band. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same with back in the USSR and the Beach Boys. It's yeah, the, yeah, you know it's right. the, it's it's what they did. It's like Douglas Adams famously said, "The secret behind flying is to throw yourself throw yourself at the ground." and miss and uh, <laughs> and that secret of running great souls right. and maybe to copy someone who's great and not do it very well ah good point so would then Paul take what he heard and sing just to it because that's and the harmonies and all that happened on top of that take correct two? yeah yeah, so there was, the, you know, and that's the amazing foresight. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew, they, they knew, you know, Paul would have sung on it afterwards having known that it was right. You know, they kind of knew things were right. Um, there's no deliberation. You know, as I say, you know, 10 minutes before that piece of music, there was no in the Rigby. Wow. And then he went, he go in and sing. He sang on it twice, actually. There's a double track. There's two of them. Um, yeah, that's the way it was done. I was surprised when I listened to a song that is you know, one of the most joyous songs of Beatles uh, sang, at least in, in spirit, it sounds like Yellow Submarine, always just such a, a cheery little number. And then and on uh, Outtake Disc, I think four, there's this. In the place where I was born, no one cared, no one cared. And the name that I was born, no one cared. How do we possibly get from that to Yellow Submarine? Well, I think you have a mate called Paul McCartney as the answer. <laughs> and, that's, and this is, this is great because this is actually the, the essence of the Beatles is one, one Beatle would have a, a song idea and the other Beatle would take it and they would bash it out between each other at this stage. And yeah, and this is a maudlin song. It's like there's the, you know, there's, it's like a sort of Woody Guthrie kind of like, you know, in the place where I was born, no one cared, no one cared. How did this become like the Beatles' biggest children's song? You know, Yellow Submarine. <laughs> exactly. So from there we go, uh, well, another take of it. I don't know how far time-wise these two are apart, but uh, should I just play it? Yeah, I think it's just a few days. Paul huh. oh, now. No, well, you do it then, I'll just play No, it. no, no. You'll never hear it with two of us. Anyway, just sing No, but you, you know how to sing it. You okay, were going to well, do I it. Okay, well, I can't, can't see it. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. It's just critical, Mike. Can you read that? Yeah, I can read it okay now, Paul. Right. Right. You can play on your track and I'll play on mine. Two, one, two, three, four. 
you also on, on this record have a, a beautiful version of the Yellow Submarine, but without the uh, effects. I mean, yeah, the thing about Yellow Submarine is, you know, it's, it's the, the, the thing about Revolver as an album, actually. It's like, you wonder how they ordered it. You wonder how they put it together because no song's the same as the other song. <laughs> you know, how can you have Tomorrow Never Knows and Yellow Submarine on the same album? How can you have, you know, For No One and an Indian song by, by, by George, like, you know, Love You Too? And Yellow Submarine, you know, almost harks back to my dad's days of doing comedy records. He worked with, like, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and Ber- like Bernard Cribbins, and they used to use sound effects all the time. And, you know, whether they were blowing bubbles into buckets of water or... Would they do tape, tape speed for characters? Yeah, tape speed for characters, dragging chains across the floor, anything it was. And this is what Yellow Submarine is. This is what became, the, the, you know, the party of Yellow Submarine. Ah. It's the beginning of the painting pictures with sound. For all of them, the only limitation was the imagination. You know, the Beatles, which used to say, you know, there's a famous story about John, John Lennon saying to, to Ringo, to play him a track and say, I want it to sound like this. And Ringo said, but that's two drummers, John. And John went to go, well, I wouldn't let that bother you. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, the asking why was always a good thing. Well, you know, you can't do that. Well, why? Now, why can't we do that? And that's what Revolver is in a way. And, you know, that's what, you know, Yellow Submarine sort of sticks out, but it suits Ringo. It's like, you know, you can't imagine anyone else seeing it but Ringo. That's right. That's for sure. Let's take a quick break. We're talking about the Beatles album Revolver. It's all songs considered from NPR Music. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think with the Venture Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company. Since 1993, Lagunitas has been challenging the status quo, brewing innovative beer, and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of craft brews, cult classics, and non-alcoholic options, there's a seat at the bar for everyone. Bring the dog, too. Lagunitas Brewing Company. Because every great song deserves a great beer. It's good to have friends. Learn more at Lagunitas.com. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. We talk about the technology a little bit here, and, and we'll get a little geeky because there is a brilliant uh, stereo remix of the record. But you had so little to work with. You, you had everything happening at once, mixed down on uh, four tracks. And unlike today, somebody could walk in a studio and they'd have you know thirty-two or sixty-four tracks to then play with and remix. You had so little to work with, so. Talk about the technology that got us, and we'll play some Well, yeah, it's a good question, Bob. I mean, yeah, I did have so little to work with, and to the extent where I said that I couldn't work on it. 
And then, you know, this strange man from New Zealand came along <laughs> um, called Peter Jackson, who turned up at Apple's doorstep and ended up collaborating and directing Get Back, which was an amazing project. Yes. And I kind of, when I met Peter, I said, listen, I kind of, you know, pompously said, hey, you know, I think what we should do is we should try and try and make it feel as though we're actually in the room with the band. He said, nodded. I'm back to New Zealand. And then I didn't realize, like, you know, you forget his facilities and the teams he have. I mean, it's like, you know, the man's a genius. And he has audio teams that, you know, that are way better than me, sadly. And they started working on the NACRAs, which are small quarter-inch tapes. So it's like these brown reels of tape, which are mono tapes. And the problem with Get Back, if anyone sees the, the film, is like people are talking. Paul's talking to John or George talking to Ringo or vice versa. And they're playing at the same time. And we couldn't get the dialogue clean. There's a, a dialogue editor who's the person who looks after the voices called Emile Delaray. And he was working in the background on the system of trying to clean up dialogue. So if someone's playing the guitar and someone's talking at the same time, he'd remove the guitar. And I think they went to forensic research facilities in America, you know, to for the police and stuff like that, and spoke to people developing AI and developed their own system to eventually where they could, systems could recognize an instrument and take it off a track. And the best analogy I can give that to you is like if if I brought you in, brought in a lovely cake, Bob, and you went, yeah, I like this, but I want to have a slightly different one. Can you take this cake and give me some, you know, flour, eggs, milk, sugar, et cetera? And I want it perfectly clean so I can then make my own cake. It'd be impossible. That's what that, but that's what this technology is. You have drums, bass, and guitar all wedged together on the same track, and I can have drums, bass, and guitar separate. And it's separate to an extent where it's like you hear Ringo playing in the room. And the great thing about this is other people are doing this technology, but no one nearly as well as Peter Jackson's team. I mean, they are extraordinary. I mean, I have this, you know amazing role with Universal Music Group being head of audio, and I look into these systems, I'm like going, oh my God, this changes everything. Mm. And only the Beatles so far have used it. In a kind of, you know, strange way, I love the fact that we're still, they're still pushing technology, they're still pushing boundaries, and that's what unlocked the door to mixing Revolver, because we can now have, you can take the track Taxman and all the, and the stereo, original stereo, everything is on one side, everything is on guitar, bass, and drums on your left-hand side. You know, I can now have the drums in the middle, the guitar on one side, the bass on the other. I can now create the band in a room, if you like, what we do with Get Back. And it's it just means that you're closer to the music. Let me play a little bit of the original mix so people hear what you're talking about in terms of, you know, vocals and guitar over one side and drums, whatever. Okay. And then I think that'll really help when we get to hear the, the new mix. I'm just going to play a little bit of this uh... Two, three, four, one, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Now, everybody, hold on to your chairs. Two, three, four, one, two. Let me tell you how it will be There's one for you, 19 for me Cause I'm the tax man Thankful I don't 
I mean, you really, it so feels like you're you're in the room, and and it doesn't feel like you speak best to this, but I don't. I think your dad would appreciate this. I, they they didn't make the choices they made because they necessarily wanted to. They, they, right? Yeah, and you've got to realize at this time there was stereo was a thing that didn't really happen very often. Yeah, it's certainly in the UK. I mean, radio was all in mono and. You know, records were in stereos. People high people's hi fi's was, was, was the records were in mono. People's hi fi's were in mono as well. It wasn't a thing, and the, so the stereo was kind of an afterthought, and it wasn't really a concern. Now, I know from my dad, and listen, I know from Paul McCartney because he's, he's he's part of this project, obviously, and, and Ringo Starr. That you know, they love it. It's exactly what they'd have done if they could have done. Right. And it was weird that. You know, the weird thing about the pandemic, I mean, cursed though it was, it did actually give us a warm mentality where we bunkered down and worked on things. And this is what we worked on, you know, and suddenly we, we developed something that was kind of groundbreaking. I st- I'm good at this stuff. I still have no idea how it works. I do know that sort of, you know, I think that, you know, lights dim and and, and all computers get used when it's being used in New Zealand right now. Um, you know, it's, and and, you know, this restoration does unlock... The cabinets of so many great artists as well. That's the exciting thing. That's interesting too. I, I was uh, madly in love with the way Ringo's drums came through on on this record. I mean, many things, but but Ringo's drums in particular really stood out as something that was often thrown to one side, and all every single part of the drum kit was all you know. Well, that we yeah, well that's the issue. You know, if you put everything together, then, then there's quite a bit of heavy compression, which is like you know limiting where um, it's just you know what's what's done on Revolver and lots of albums, and it sounds great. But you get the quieter tracks, like you know, for no one and here, there, and everywhere. You don't really notice there's Ringo's playing on it, and now we hear him. Yeah. And now there is a kick drum, there's a snare drum, and and it's not as though he's it's not as though he's louder. If you check it with the original, it's not he's not loud. It's just there's the dynamic there. There's the, you know, that's the all thing. The frequencies you know, are all the frequencies are present. Yeah, and, and it's, someone said to me, it, there, there's been an amazing reaction to this. And what it's always like, you know, you always have to, it's, it's a level of risk with this, but there's been an amazing reaction to this, this, this mix and this sort of restoration, if you like. And it's an important record and it, and it touches people's hearts, but it's also the fact that for new generations, there's suddenly, they have 25 year olds seeing at them. They're not seeing through gauze. They're now in the room with you and they're younger than, Harry Styles is when they did Revolver. <laughs> the oldest Beatle at this point, at uh, 1966, was John at... With Ringo. Ringo, I'm sorry, at what age? Probably 27, I think. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Old man. <laughs> One surprise, another surprise for me, was uh, the song Rain, and hearing it at the speed that it was actually performed at. Why don't you talk a little about what they were after, and then I really want to play the fast version and the version we know, but the newer mix. Yeah, so the context of this is Rain is an amazing song, as is Payback Right, and they're part of Revolver. I mean, they're part of this box the set. Sessions. But, you know, they were, they're not on the album because my dad and Brian Epstein didn't want to rip people off by making people buy songs twice. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Here we are talking about me, me remixing Revolver if you're buying it, so that's probably a, a gaffe. But the, the reality is, is that the Beatles just wrote so many great songs. Now, Rain... They wanted a certain sound to rain. They wanted a certain timbre or depth to the drums, especially in the bass. They wanted to sound heavy, and the way to do that is you record things and you slow them down, which you know slows everything down. It it, it deepens everything. It 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 pitch shifts everything. What other songs did they do that with you off the top of your head? Do you know? Well, I mean, it's funny. There's there's a lot of tracks which are running at 
wrong speeds. I mean, like if you listen to Penny Lane, mm-hmm. Penny Lane is fast. It runs fast. And you listen to Paul's voice in Penny Lane. And as soon as you hear that, you, you never unhear it. You know, they played around with tape speeds quite a lot. And, of course, you know, on Rain, you get also not only slowed down tape, but backwards tape as well. I mean, that purely came from, you know, John hearing a tape reel spool back. And I think it was put on the wrong way. And he goes, what's that? Let's use that. And then my dad said he then wanted everything backwards from then on. You know, it was like, you know, <laughs> this is a new toy. Um, so this version of Rain is them recording it deliberately fast. I see. So they, could, they knew they were going to slow it down. So this is rain, and it sounds too fast, but this is them in the studios playing it. And, and to tell you what's astounding about this is Ringo. Ringo's precision um, and his feel, if you imagine, if you play an instrument and you slow yourself down, your mistakes and your timing becomes exposed. You know, if you want to, if you want to sound tighter as a musician, speed yourself up. If you want to sound more in tune, speed yourself up. Um, and this is, this is just astounding, what, the way the band can, can do this. years and it's like the Ramones yeah yeah <laughs> wow the bass is also extraordinary at that yeah. speed right so what did they do then with John's voice because that they couldn't have possibly recorded his voice no then, no right? those, so, they, so, the so, opposite, so, right? so then they slowed down the track right and John sang on top of it I see I mean you know obviously Strawberry Fields that you know if people listen to that that the voice and the whole thing is slowed down um, so there is there's ta- there's tape speed all over the place and I mean that's the that's the thing about tape you can it is a it is another instrument that you can do with computers but it just isn't the same it doesn't have that it's like you know uh, you know if you imagine it's an, it's a cooker or an oven compared to a microwave oven <laughs> like you said your dad had lots of background in this and having done this Jeff Emmerich's 19, 20 years old or something coming into these sessions what was his contribution. Well, his, I mean, he is astounding engineer. He actually came from the mastering room um, at Abbey Road, and he, you know, he, the, Paul and my dad wanted to get, they wanted to get more bass, and you know, they wanted to get heavier bass. There was a, they, the, you Americans, you you could always be louder than us, us Brits, and uh, how do you and, mean? <laughs> well, here's what, the thing. What are we getting into here? <laughs> well, yeah, another another. Well, the, the, it, 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 I'm saying that with huge envy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that. You have to imagine a world which is strange for us, but it's so obvious that the only format to listen to material on anywhere in the world was vinyl discs. And the grooves in vinyl, American vinyl records, could be cut deeper than they could in England. Hmm. And so there was more bass, they were louder. And so that meant when your your records were played on a radio station, the American records would sound louder and therefore better, bizarrely than the English records. So my dad actually, bizarrely, went, went over, before the Beatles, he went over to Capitol Studios and was sat in on the Come Fly With Me sessions of Frank Sinatra as a, not a George Martin, but as just a person from EMI to try and work out how they could be louder. 
And Revolver's this, this turning point, you know, with, you know, putting them based separately, things like Payback Writer and stuff like that, because um, a little bit more weight um, behind everything. When Rain is now played at, at, at its correct speed, or slowed down, if you like, so the voice is at the correct speed, but the rest of the band have been slowed down, it gives it that weight. The tom fills and the bass is heavier, everything is, has that sort of, you know, Rain feel to it. So, so good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. And I think that's the sort of turning point in a way that there's a swagger to it. It's quite a long way away from I saw her standing there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's still the Beatles. It's and the like, subject matter, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's that thing, you know, had they not done that with the tape, had they not played it, it wouldn't have that sound. It wouldn't have that kind of like, that heaviness behind it. And it wouldn't have that feel. We should go out on one more. Let's uh, tomorrow and talk about tomorrow never knows. We we could talk endlessly, but I want to understand how one thing I want to understand how many things, Giles. But one thing I want is how they worked with that backward tape loops and stuff and the backward guitars you hear on songs. And at what points do these come into play? Are they they sing a song and then they go ahead and add a bunch of backward stuff, or are they when they're playing? Are they hearing some of that? Describe how some of this worked. Yeah, okay. Um, well, Tomorrow Never Knows is a, it's the first track they did, actually. It's the first track. After the, after the hold, they came back in the studios, and John had this idea for a song, taken from the Book of the Dead, a, a spiritual... He wanted a song where he sounded like he was preaching from a, a Himalayan mountaintop. And this is a guy from Liverpool, who's obviously never been to Him the Himalayas. And they're at Abbey Road, you know, which is actually an amazing studio, but quite a drab building. It's just that that foresight. And he played the song to my dad, and obviously he'd played it to the, the band. It was just like the chord of C. It, that's all it was. And the fact that everyone just goes, yeah, okay, let's just do it. It wasn't like, you know, but it's just one chord, <laughs> like a mantra. We actually, on the on the box, we, we play some very early versions of it. It's kind of like cool. It's kind of you know, hokey loops they made out of, out of tapes. And they were, you know, they, they, all the Beatles had their own tape machines by this stage. And they kind of broken into the control room. They climbed the stairs of Studio 2 and broken into the control room and, and you know, started twiddling, twiddling knobs and saying, you know, they'd been the best live band. They'd been the best pop band. Now they want to be the best recording band. You know, they were starting to experiment more in the studios. The way this was done is, you know, 
Paul and Ringo came up with this this kind of loop, this kind of like groove, really progressive, really kind of like, you know, and John sang to that and tamboras were added, which is an Indian drone instrument. Mm-hmm. And then they started like adding flavors to answer your question. So on track one, there is just bass and drums. And track two has John's vocal. And with John's vocal, there's an occasional organ that comes in. You'll hear at the, at the very beginning. And then you can see they're thinking about adding flavors. And that's what they said. Once your question, they didn't sing or play with the flavors on there, the flavors, but the icing was added onto the cake afterwards. And that icing, in this case, was some backwards guitars and the tape loops. Now, to start off to answer your question about backwards guitars, the way to do that is you, you know, I don't know exactly how they did it. I got a pretty good idea with, you know, knowing my dad and you know, being related to him. You know, you, you can turn the tape backwards and then work out or you can you can have the tape forwards and play a melody on something that, that you want the notes to be and turn it backwards and recognize that melody and play it in again. Does that make sense? Yes. So you're hearing something backwards, you're playing it forwards and top backwards, you turn the tape back again, you know, you you you, you and and there you have your melody. So that's that's probably what they did for this, I would have thought. Um, it's just it's literally you're recording to a backwards version of the song in order to get a backwards guitar. That's the only way you can do wow. it. And obviously, you're stunning at the end of the song. That's the other strange thing. <laughs> it, it, it takes a while to get used to. Um, a tape loop, essentially, is if you imagine a, a, a something on record and recording constantly, but just it repeating it back every... In fact, Instagram, have, they have loops on video now. So it's the same thing. Right, the boomerang. It's, a bo- yeah, it's, it's the a, boomerang it's, of it's tape. An, yeah, it's a 60s boomerang is what <laughs> right. it is. And you hear those, and they're, they're guitars, many guitars and sounds and backwards guitars and... And some of them sound like seagulls, you know. That was a flavor then they added. And, and funny enough, my, my dad tells a story. They had all these different machines. Each, each Beatle had their own tape machine, and they had their own tape loops, and they were running it into the desk, and, and there was tape everywhere, and they were running to the desk. But I think that's true, but I think that they recorded what they did onto a track of the tape. That's why I have it, if that makes sense. It's not done live. I mean, for instance, quite often they'd mix things live. So the song Iron the Warrus, the dialogue, the speech from the radio is actually just live when they're doing the mix. And that's not on tape. So this was on, this was, they recorded this in. They obviously dropped in and recorded this in. So they, they had these crazy tape loops and then they brought them in and out and and I get to play around with them is the answer. And so what you hear is like a stereo version. And you'll, you'll listen actually, when you listen to this, you'll hear the drums, it's like stereo, the tom, the riff is like bum, ba, bum, bum, ba, da. And the, and the snare drum is a, is a slightly different side of the toms, and that's to, to do with demixing. It's now that's now stereo, and, and the tape loops now pan. We can now move them around, and we can have expand a little bit. But the, the, the essence of Tomorrow Never Knows is it's a classic Beatles. As people think it's complicated, people think it's this song with loads of things on it. A bit like they do with Day in Life. People think there's this universe that's been put in front of them, and it's not. It's really simple. It's just really, really clever. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. It's oh, always thanks, Bob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're not in the flesh, as they say. Indeed. Next time, Giles Martin. The box set of the Beatles album Revolver is out now. Let's go out on Tomorrow Never Knows. Because in fact, it surely couldn't have predicted this. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.